As I have gotten older, I've cared more about not forgetting things. I've always been a quasi-responsible person, but as I've gotten older, like I've said, I've, st- I've had to start developing ways to remember all of the things. I read a book a couple years ago, I think it was called Getting Stuff Done. It's all about organization, and uh, yeah, I'm getting head nods from people out there who are like, yeah, I can tell you organized types, you like it, that's fine. Um, redid my office and made a filing system. I bought a label maker. This is like, this is the type of person I am. Now I got a label maker on my desk so I can label folders. If it could be done in two minutes, do it. Like it's this whole mindset of how to stay organized. And I had to do it because I was overseeing so many different things and trying to care for people well and just I didn't want to forget things. And I had been. I was starting to let things slip and my, my job and family were paying the price of me not remembering things. Well, Today, we're going to be reading in Psalm 103 about the compassion of the Lord, that the Lord is compassionate. And David makes the case, David is the author of this poem, this prayer, this this hymn, and David is telling himself, oh my soul, bless the Lord, forget not all his benefits. And another word is, like, forget not would be remember, right? And he's saying, remember, remember what God has done done in your life, in your lives. And what he goes on to describe, what I would say is sort of the character of God worked out in the covenant of God. The compassion of our God worked out in the promises that he has given his people and the way he has fulfilled them. And so we're going to be talking about remembering the compassion of God and the way it's been worked out in our lives. And I kind of want to move through a couple of things that David talks about. The first being that God redeems us or God rescues us from the pit, he calls it. This is a word that's used throughout the Psalms. Then we're going to talk about how God remembers our weaknesses. And he remembers our weak frames, the old words would be, that, that, that we are just dust, it says. And that God remembers us by removing our sin. That he removes us from our, transge- our transgressions, from our iniquities. And so we're going to read Psalm 103. If you have a copy of the scriptures, you can turn to it there in your phones or Bibles or wherever. It'll be up on the screen as well. But like I talked about earlier, Psalm 103 um, starts and ends with what's called an inclusio. There's these, these bookends, which means the author really wants us to know this. And everything he talks about in the middle has to do with the things at the ends. Right? It's kind of a sandwich of sorts that he's building. And it's this beautiful poem that has a lot of different, um, what I would call opposites in it. Some of them don't come through in the Hebrew, but again, this is a poem. This is something that someone took time to intentionally write in a beautiful way to be a memorable thing for the people of God. He has these, these opposites of like, using the words forget and remember. He uses them a couple different times. He has the idea of something that's high and something that is low something that is paid and things that are not paid, something that will vanish against something that will be established forever. And all these things are sort of chunked together in this poem in these different ways to sort of bring it to life for us. And I want you to sort of listen for them if you can, uh, pick them out where you want, underline them if you see them. Let's read this. I'm going to read this for us. Psalm 103. David says this, My soul... Bless the Lord and all that is within me, all that is in with me. Bless his holy name. My soul, bless the Lord and do not forget all 
his benefits. The word there, do not forget his benefits, is really saying, don't forget how you've been paid, is really wrapped up in the Hebrew of that word, benefits. Says, do not forget all his benefits. Verse 3, he forgives all your iniquity. He heals all your diseases. He redeems your life from the pit. He crowns you with faithful love and compassion. He satisfies you with good things. Your youth is renewed like the eagle. The Lord executes acts of righteousness and justice for all the oppressed. He revealed his ways to Moses, his deeds to the people of Israel. The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in faithful love. He will not always accuse us or be angry forever. He has not dealt or he has not paid with us, paid, uh, paid us or dealt with us as our sins deserve or repaid us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his faithful love. Like his love is over us. So great is his faithful love towards those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. For he knows what we are made of, remembering that we are dust. As for man, his days are like grass. He blooms like a flower of the field. When the wind passes over it, it vanishes, and its place is no longer known. In Hebrew, what's wrapped up in that is his place is no longer remembered. But from eternity to eternity, the Lord's faithful love is towards those who fear him and his righteousness towards the grandchildren of those who keep his covenant, who remember to observe his precepts. The Lord has established his throne in heaven, and his kingdom rules over all. Bless the Lord, all his angels of great strength who do his word, obedient to his command. Bless the Lord, all his armies, his servants who do his will. Bless the Lord, all his works in all the places where he rules, my soul Bless the Lord. David writes this great psalm, this great hymn, this great prayer, this great poem, because he wants us to not forget. He's saying, do not forget to remember. Remember to not forget. And what is he telling them to remember? He's telling them to remember his benefits the ways that he has paid the people of God. And, and this is, this remember his benefits is, is more than just like remember the good things that God has done, remember the, the blessing of like, hey, I got to play a good golf game yesterday. Though good, that's great, praise God. I would praise God if I had a good golf game. But anyway, it's more than just like, oh, I had good food or I got a nice house. Those are all great blessings, absolutely. He's saying there's something deeper within the people of God that should well up, that he's saying to remember this, to, to not forget all that God has done on behalf of his children. Tim Keller uh, has a great message about this. Uh, if I could have got him here to preach it, I would have. Um, but he talks about how memory, like remembering, not forgetting, uh, in the Bible, the ta Bible talks about this regularly, Old and New Testament, remember God, remember what he has done. The word there actually means uh, controlling our consciousness, 
telling ourselves truth, meditating on it. It's not just like, oh, like remember to have an appointment. It's it's something deeper that we consciously, actively do to remember. It's focusing on something. It's meditating on it. And I would argue that the reason we don't remember God, I'm going to make these two kind of broad categories right now. I'm sure there's nuances to these. But the reason that we don't remember what God has done, the reason that we don't forget, I mean that we do regularly forget what God has done is twofold. First would be we have a fear of conviction. That when we start to remember God, when we start to understand our place in the world, in God's order, it's like, eh, I don't really belong here. I don't really belong coming into this God's presence. I should, not, I should not be in this God's presence. I shouldn't be paying attention to him. I don't, actually, if I get near him, it's going to be convicting. I don't really want to do that. Now, we would never say it out loud like that, but it's at work in our souls. The other main thing, and this is probably the majority of us on a regular basis, is that we just have a lot of confidence in ourselves, a lot of pride in ourselves. We don't need God. We've got it all under control. And so we don't want to really we don't want to remember God because that would mean I have to lower myself. And I don't really want to do that. This is like the natural state of humanity, is it not? But David, here's David saying, "Remember God. Do not forget all of his benefits, all of the ways that he has worked towards his people." And then he goes on to say, "Here's what we're remembering. The compassionate character of our God." And he explains all the benefits attached to the person of God and the way he works towards his people as a compassionate God who makes this covenant with the children of God. So let's just go through a couple of these things together. David is calling us, I'm calling us, the scriptures call us regularly, to remember that God has rescued us from the pit. This is where he starts when he starts listing the benefits, right? Up there at the top of that list is is to remember that God has rescued us from the pit. Now, we don't know at what point David wrote this in his life, but multiple times David was rescued by God from enemies, from savage animals, from Goliath, like whatever, rescued from himself. He's regularly aware of that. He's saying God has rescued us from the pit. And and I believe that it's also connected to Israel's story of rescue, that David is a king in the line of Israel who was rescued out of the pit that was Egyptian slavery. He knows that they are a rescued people, first and foremost. They are a delivered people. They're not just a Genesis people. They're not just a, a, you know, a, a, a created people. They are people who were supposed to be under the promise of God who were rescued out of deep pits, out of deep slavery in Egypt. And what I would fast forward to say is that as people of the new covenant, as people of Jesus, we regularly should be remembering that we are rescued people. Every day we should wake up and say, praise God today that I am a rescued person that he has pulled me out of my former way of life, whether it's been a couple years or a couple decades, I have been rescued from sin and from death and from just wandering through this life unattended. That there is a God who loves me and has rescued me out of the pit through Jesus. But in David's context, he knows that he is a rescued person as part of a rescued people in Israel. And he's actually quoting something from the great rescue document of Mount Sinai. He's quoting Exodus 34 when he says the Lord is compassionate, that his, his love is never ending, that he's faithful, that he's abounding in love, that he's slow to anger. He's quoting the covenant of rescue. Look with me at Exodus 34. 
In this passage, Moses is gone back up the mountain to get new Ten Commandments because the first time he got them, he came down and the people were having such a party worshiping a golden calf that he threw them on the ground and cracked them in half. And God's like, okay, come back up, let's do this again, right? And so he brings him back up the mountain. 34 verse 4 says this, Moses cut two stone tablets like the first ones. He got up early in the morning and taking the two stone tablets in his hand, he climbed Mount Sinai just as the Lord had commanded him. The Lord came down in a cloud, stood with him there, and proclaimed his name. Not Moses' name. God proclaims his own name, the Lord. The Lord passed in front of him and proclaimed this, the Lord. The Lord is a compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger and abounding in faithful love and truth, maintaining faithful love to a thousand generations, forgiving iniquity, rebellion, and sin, but he will not leave the guilty unpunished bringing the father's iniquity on the children and grandchildren to the third and fourth generation. David knows that he is a rescued person who's part of a rescued people. And God has made this promise. This is a good poet. He's he's pulling this promise from the past into the foreground for the people of his day, saying, remember who we are, that we are a rescued people, that God has done this thing all those years ago at at Mount Sinai. Even though the people were rebelling and going against God, God says, I'm still going to make a covenant promise to you. I'm still going to be faithful in love towards you. I'm still going to abound in love. I'm still going to have this this committed, loyal love towards you. I'm going to be slow to anger. And I'm going to forgive sins within the covenant. But there's also this other side of it, that there's a lack of forgiveness for those who don't take part in the covenant. God rescues us from the pit, and David knows this personally in his life, and he wants his people to remember it in their own lives and as a people of God. We get to remember this, that through Jesus, we are a rescued people. And when you go on in this psalm, you see another thing that David is calling us to remember, that God remembers that we are weak, that he remembers that we are dust, that he remembers that we have these feeble frames that are prone to wander, that are prone to brokenness, that are prone to mess up and break ourselves, one another, the earth. But David describes him as a compassionate father, a compassionate father who knows his children. He knows who they are. He knows you and me. He knows our struggles. He knows how weak we are, how messed up we are. Compassion, in Hebrew, if you look up the word, is really akin to the idea of pity. We don't like pity. Our prideful self does not like pity. Like, no, 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 don't pity me. I got it. I'm going to pull myself up by my bootstraps. I'm going to make it work. I got it. But David's telling us to remember that God is compassionate towards our weaknesses, towards our brokenness. There's something good and healthy about remembering our weaknesses, about remembering the placement that we have under God, that God is in an elevated position having pity towards us. Not in a disdainful way, not in a you bunch of losers kind of way, but in a, man, life could be better than this and I want it for you. Let me, let me, let me pull you up. Let me bring you into wholeness. That's compassion. That's what compassion looks like. Compassion is believing something for someone when they can't believe it for themselves. God is having this compassion on his people. And for some of you, 
For some of us, on any given day, this will be relief. Right? This is a relief. They're like, okay, I don't have to do this all on my own. Thank God that he knows I'm a mess. Thank God that he's God and I'm not. Whew, that's a relief. For others of us, on any given day, that's infuriating. Because we're like, no, I'm in charge. I'm up here. Not God. And David's saying, no, 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 no. Remember this compassionate father who's in an elevated position caring for his children. That he's up there, we're down here, and that's actually a good thing. I had a neighbor uh, where we used to live, and um, he, it was clear that he had a problem with alcohol. He and his wife had gone through a nasty separation of sorts, and we hadn't seen her in months. He had these two little boys who would get off the bus, and we would see them, or the bus stop was right by our house, we would see them walk around the corner to their house. And one day in the middle of the winter, they get off the bus, I see them walk over, because I'm, I'm out getting, I think it was Abby at the time or somebody off the bus, and bringing her into the house, and I see these boys walk over to their house, and I see them knock on the front door, go around the back door, come back around. I can tell they're looking for a key to get into the house. And I'm like, okay, whatever. So a couple minutes later, I go back outside, and I see they're still sitting on the porch. And it was like 28 degrees or something that day. And I'm like, uh, this is not good. So I try calling this guy because I had his number. The kids give me the mom's number. I'm trying to call her. I'm not getting a hold of anybody. I'm like, I don't know what to do. So they come back over to our house. And I didn't want to bring him into my house because I'm like, I don't know what the rules are about that. Like, I don't know. You know, I'm trying to be cautious. So we give him some hot chocolate. I think we get some Pop-Tarts or something. And we're just sitting out there. I'm trying to, I'm calling the dad repeatedly. I'm calling the mom repeatedly. No one's answering. Eventually, we have to go somewhere. Now, what do you do? I call the police. Because I was like, I don't know what else to do. Police come. Mom comes out of the house. I'm like, what? is happening. Apparently, she had a problem with alcohol. It was a mess. A couple months later, I see him, the, the dad, out in the driveway, and I go over to try to like, say, like, hey, man, I'm sorry. I, like, I, don't, I don't know what happened. And he was furious with me. Furious. It was the closest I've ever come to getting punched in the face. He was seething angry. I said, hey, man, like, I, I'm sorry. I'm just, I was trying to help. I don't know. Like, we're just praying for you. And he was like, I don't need your pity. I don't need your prayer. I was like, whoa. Now, maybe we should have handled it differently. I don't know. But what I realized in that moment, and what I'm, where I'm trying to bring this home for us, is that when we have compassion, it is oftentimes this up-to-down kind of thing, right? And in that moment, when I'm trying to express compassion to this guy and pity to this guy, it was infuriating. He did not want that in his life. He wanted to be in complete control and didn't want anyone else offering something from an elevated position. And I think we often do that with God. We're like, no, 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 I don't want your compassion. I've got it. I'm in charge. You're not. Do not, you dare have, don't dare have pity on me. I don't need it. I've got it. I'm going to manage my brokenness. I'm going to manage my own stuff. I'm going to manage my life. Do not have compassion on me. But in our moments of humility, when we're able to remember that this is a good, compassionate father towards us as his children, it's actually a relief to be able to throw our hands up and say, thank God that I don't have to do all this. I don't have to fix all of this. There's a compassionate father who knows my brokenness, who knows my weakness, who knows my, my lack. 
But like I said, it's not a God who looks down on us disdainfully. It's not a God who looks down on us as a bunch of losers. And maybe that's what that guy felt in that moment, is that I was looking down on him as a loser, which I in no way was. I just felt bad that this was all happening. But God loves us and looks down towards us in a good way to say, let me, let me bring you into wholeness. I want to bring you into fullness of life. But to do that, this is the beauty of the gospel, is that God enters into our weakness. In Jesus, God enters directly into our weakness. Look at Hebrews 4 with me. Hebrews 4 is a great, or Hebrews in general is a great book sort of highlighting the beauty of Jesus the author tells us this, we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in every way as we are, yet without sin. Friends, we do not have a God who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. He knows them because he's entered directly into them. Our God is Emmanuel, God with us. He came right into humanity takes on the dust, literally made of dust and spirit, takes on the dust of humanity to walk in our dusty lives and says, yeah, I know it firsthand. Even more than David could comprehend it in the Old Testament, we now have Jesus to look on and say, man, he sure does get it because he's walked it with us. He's walked in our sandals, as it were, right? Like he, he knows the weakness and the frailty of humanity because he has walked it. And why did he do that? Let's remember the third thing together, right? He, he remembers us, and we're called to remember him, that he rescued us from the pit. We're called to remember that he knows our weaknesses, and he answered our weakness to remove our sin. David is calling them, even in the Old Testament, to remember that God removes us from our sin, or removes our sin from us, or he remembers it no more, the scriptures say. David says that he has removed us, removed the transgressions from us so far as the east is from the west. I told Tammy last night, because she sent me the Tim Keller sermon, what I'm about to say I thought of before I heard the Tim Keller sermon. But if you listen to the Tim Keller sermon, he said the same exact thing. I had it first. No, I didn't. He preached it in like 1989. Picture this with me. He separated us as far as the east is from the west from our sins. He takes them away from us. Imagine you, are, you know, go outside or go out on a high hill somewhere, if you can find one in Nazareth, and, and look to the west. How far is it? Go to that place. Go as far as you can see to the west. And when you get there, look west again. Where's the western border? Still way out there. And where's the east? Just as far away. You get what I'm saying here? No matter where we go, the borders, the, the horizons are still just as far away. And what David is telling us, remember that this is what God has done with our sin in the covenant. When we covenant with him and say, yeah, I want you as God in that place and me here and you there. I accept your forgiveness. I accept your precepts. I want to follow them. He says, sin gone, removed. Even in the Old Testament. Do you understand that? Sometimes we think it only happened with Jesus. There's grace and gospel in the Old Testament too, which is amazing. As far as the east is from the west, no matter how far you can travel to find it, God says it's that much farther away in the covenant. I have removed it from you. All of the, the sin and the brokenness, it's gone. It's gone. It's removed. And God remembers it no more. Not like he just kind of forgot it because he's got a bad memory. It's an act of his consciousness as well to say gone, over, 
removed as far as the east is from the west. No more shame, friends. Forgiven. It's over. It's done. Think how much David had grasped this in his own life. The shame, the brokenness of his own life. As much as he was a man after God's own heart, his life was a wreck. We can see it in the scriptures. I think this is why he's there for us to read about. The murders and the blood that was on his hands. The guilt of that, that sense of, the, of taking of life, whether it was God-ordained or not. God says it's removed. It's over. Maybe you've been in circumstances where maybe you've not murdered people. But you've been responsible for a death of sorts as an employer, as a boss, the way you slandered someone and trashed a relationship. God says, in the covenant, it's removed. It's removed. It's over. You're made new. You're pure. The, the relational sexual sins of our past that so burden many of us, David says, removed. As far as the east is from the west. Gone. Over. The pride that we have that makes us be people who are short-tempered, angry, lashing out, trashing of others. We bring it before God in the covenant, and he says, removed. Gone. As far as the east is from the west, removed. And David is saying, remember this. Consciously tell yourselves of this every day. Do whatever it takes to remind yourselves of this, to meditate on this, to contemplate this. Friends, God is not surprised by our sins. He's not surprised by the sins that you have committed, that you will commit. He's God. He knows all things. He is not surprised by any of them, but he remembers them no more when we come and confess and say, take them away. Take them away. In Jesus, cover them by his blood. Take them away. Remove that guilt from me, David says. Create in me a clean heart. Take it away. And God says, absolutely. Now, does that take time maybe to believe that? Yeah. Does it take a community to help us have faith to walk that out? Yeah. Does that sometimes take counseling and therapy to, to deal with some of that deep shame? Absolutely. But know that at the foundation of it is a God who loves us as a compassionate father and says, it's gone. As far as the east is from the west, it's gone. Praise God for the atonement and the sacrifice in the Old Testament and primarily in Jesus today. When we start to live in that, we start to live in the reality of that, we start to believe that, do you know what it, it does in us? It motivates us to want more of it. It motivates us to believe God's laws as they're called in the Old Testament. It motivates us to say, yeah, you know what, this way of being in this order with God here and me here, him as the compassionate father, me as the child receiving it, you know what, I actually want to walk in that way. I want to walk in the ways of his laws and his commands. I want to walk in the ways of, of, of God's ethics, his kingdom. And we start to choose into obedience more and more. It's called grace-motivated obedience, as we call it here. Not because we're trying to earn it, but because we start to really believe that we have it. So we're like, oh, I want more of that. And it leads us to be people who are regularly saying, okay, God, I confess. Your mercies are new today for me. I believe the gospel today. And tomorrow when I mess up, I'm going to believe it again. And I'm going to try harder, 
I try to discipline myself, buffet my body, as Paul says, to try to, uh, to, to live into your ways, but knowing that all the while I'm probably going to mess it up anyway, and that's okay because you love me. You see the cycle that happens here? And this is why there is a guilt that remains for people outside of the covenant, because they say, no, I'm going to keep doing it my way. But when we come into the covenant, God says, removed, and oh, by the way, here's a better way to live. Keep pursuing it. Keep pursuing it. And this is why David says, remember, remember this daily. Friends, we need the gospel every day. It's not just the ticket in. It's the party every day, living in the mercy and the grace of Jesus. So I'm going to have Tammy right now come up and share. Um, I wanted someone to sort of speak to what Psalm 103 has meant in their life rather than just hearing me speak at you about it. Uh, so Tammy's going to share sort of how she's been, causing, uh, been being, being caused to remember <laughs> um, and struggling to remember a little bit. And so she's going to share, and then I'm going to come back up and wrap in a couple minutes. So Tammy, come on up here. Hi. So Jim asked me, well, he asked, um, put out a different, a couple different Psalms out there. And right away when he said Psalm 103, I volunteered because for some reason, I don't know, a couple years ago, um, I did a lot of studying on Psalm 103 and it just, it's just meant a lot to me. So as I was trying to write up something to say about the psalm, I right away was like, I have no business being up here talking about this um, because <laughs> my week was a little difficult. Nothing serious happened, but just annoying small problems. And I had to drop a kid off at college, which I always am like, oh, it's fine. But I think deep down it hurts a little. Um, and I realized that I spent the week doing the exact opposite of what the psalm calls us to do. <laughs> I forget. And um, he calls us to forget not all his benefits, to remember them. And if I'm honest, it's not only this week, but a lot of days I fail to remember his forgiveness, his compassion, uh, his healing, and his redeeming love in my inmost being. Um, the psalm was written so long, even before Jesus and the gospel as we know, and we're supposed to remember and to live by it. Um, with it, I realized I don't need to be angry. I don't need to be afraid or live in shame of all my past sins or all the sins that I'm going to have. Um, because like Jim said, he's removed our sins as far as the east is from the west. And when I live knowing or remembering all of God's benefits, I can see all the blessings he has poured out um, for others as well as myself. And I'm reminded of how much he loves me and why I should be praising him every day from my inmost being. Um, yeah, I could go on about, there's so many different things in this psalm, but for now I'm trying to just focus on to remember all his benefits. So when things happen in my life, um, most of my 
when things happen and I remember all his benefits, most of my grumbling and complaining turns into gratitude and praise um, for God because he has definitely rescued me from the pit. Not just today, but all my days. So, amen. If there's um, something that we ever want people to know at Hope, whether it's in Nazareth or in Bethlehem, it's that we do have a compassionate God. Many of us grew up in an environment where we were told all the rules and the legalism of, of what we needed to do to get God to love us. And the scriptures are pretty clear start to finish that we have a pursuing God, a compassionate God who knows our weaknesses, who knows our brokenness. Is there a way he wants us to live because he knows it's best for us as a compassionate father? Absolutely. Are we required to live that way so we get his compassion? No. You see the difference? He loves us. He wants forgiveness for us. He wants whole life for us. But he knows that it's found in a covenant relationship in which we say, okay, we understand you're here, we're here, we receive that. We will live in the reality of that. So friends, this morning, let's remember that the Lord is compassionate towards us. And even though we forget God regularly, intentionally, accidentally, and he should forget us, he doesn't. Instead, God saw fit to enter into our weakness and to enter into our mess to live purely, and to be crucified for it. And in that moment, Jesus is forgotten. On our behalf, Jesus is forgotten by the Father so that we can be rescued, so that we would be remembered. This is the beauty of our God. This is the beauty of the narrative of Scripture, that our God knows our weakness and cares for us so much that he's willing to enter into it on our behalf. And the separation happens between father and son so that we could be made children of God. This is the compassion of our God. So, as you go from here today, and in every day, as David's calling us to, when you're in difficulty, remember that God has ultimately pulled us out of the pit, and he will someday, even though we die. Even though we die. We will be pulled out of that pit of Sheol, as the Old Testament calls it, that place of death into new life because of Jesus. When you're in blessing and you feel like life's just going great, praise God. Remember all of his benefits. Remember that it's from his hand that all of this has happened. It all comes from him and goes back to him. When you're in sin, in shame, in brokenness, remember who God is, that he wants to separate you from those sins as the east is from the west, and confess it. Confess to one another, confess to God, and receive the, 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 the purity of white snow on your life, cleansing you in God. 
And like David says, in every situation, we join the angels, we join the, the obedient armies that follow God's command, and we join the people of old and the people of the church today. In every situation, we bless the Lord with all that is within us. For the Lord is compassionate. Let's pray.